Okay. All right, we're going to get back to 1 Peter. Well, I'll read this. You can just read on the screen and follow me. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word, uh, and we want to live lives of obedience to you. We want to take what you say in the Bible. We want to take it so seriously. We don't want to take it lightly or flippantly. We don't want to just read the bits that we like and skip over the bits that we find boring or we don't understand or we disagree with. We don't want to read the Bible from our point of view, trying to get what we can out of it. We want to let you speak to us and guide us. We want to submit our hearts and our lives to your word. We want to follow you, even though perhaps the world around us would say that's crazy and lunacy. We believe that's the best way to live. And we pray as we study this word this morning that you would speak powerfully and directly into our hearts where there are areas where we've been confused in our thinking or we've gone astray. We pray you'd gently and kindly lead us back to you in repentance, we pray. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Amen. Amen. Now, the, the title of the message this morning is uh, How to Live and Die, which I understand is a bit of a broad topic encompassing all of life and all of death. And I've got two points, two ways to live and two ways to die. So in the half an hour that follows, we're going to get through quite a lot together. And the first, the first way to live, I guess there are lots of different ways you could describe it, but would be to say something along the lines of, there, is, there isn't a God, so you can just enjoy life. Now, some people wouldn't, wouldn't even worry about the God element. They were just saying, well, just enjoy life. Surely that's the way to live, just enjoy, just get the most, of you, uh, uh, the most of what you can out of life, enjoy it. There was a, a in, in London, about seven or eight years ago, the Humanist Society advertised on the side of a bus, I don't know if you can read that, uh, these went all around London, it said there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. And I guess that's how a lot of people would want to live. They think, I just want to shake off any idea of this God person, any sort of higher power, any sort of distant heavenly being. I'm going to ignore all of that. I'm not going to let that ruin my life. I just want to enjoy and get everything out of life. 
that I can, which is what the humanist society are trying to say to us here. But kind of ironically, they didn't, perhaps they didn't realize that in a way, that's, there's, a, there's a kind of, in a way they're quoting the Bible without even realizing it. So it says in 1 Corinthians, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And uh, that's actually quoting a passage from Isaiah, I think it is, and it appears a couple of other times in the Bible, that sort of similar phrase. Um, if the dead are not raised, if there's no resurrection, if Jesus isn't alive, then, then why bother? Let's just enjoy life. Let's eat, drink, be merry. Let's just get the most out of life we can. We've got a short time. Let's pack as much enjoyment in as we can. And then when we die, we die. Game over. But let's just enjoy it in the small time that we have. Maybe that's for you here this morning. Maybe you've never really thought about it. Maybe this is your motto for how you want to live. Maybe you think this sounds like a good way to live. The second way to live would be, would be something like this, that uh, there is a God, so don't, don't break the rules. Don't break the rules. Which is kind of the subtle message that that bus advert is trying to, to, to tell us. They've written it in a kind of a breezy, fun way, but actually they're trying to, they're trying to say something quite deliberate. By, by saying that there's probably no God, so stop worrying and enjoy your life, what they're trying to tell you is that if there is a God, then you have to worry and you can't enjoy life. That's what they're saying to us, that, that to believe in God means a life of worry and anxiety. It means a life of oppression. It means a life of struggle and hardship, desperately trying to keep up, to hold on to the rules, to not do anything, to upset an angry God. That's kind of what they're saying to us. And perhaps after, after I read that passage from one Peter, maybe you came in here and, and thought, oh, this is, this is just another one of those preachers giving me a list of sins, a list of things that, that I must do or that I must not do. And for many people, that would be, perhaps that's your, that's your kind of stereotype of what the church is like. For many people, that's what they think of the church in the Netherlands their, their picture of it in their head will be something that's grey, cold, a bit oppressive, a bit dull and boring, a place where you go and there's condemnation, a place where you go to feel a bit lowly about yourself. And maybe that's the stereotype that you would have of the church. And you might think that verses like this kind of support that, that stereotype. You might think, well, what, what's, what's wrong with a bit, of, a bit of passion in life? You know, a drinking party sounds like a bit of fun. How are you going to survive Eurovision if you don't have a drink or two? You might be thinking, this sounds like a good way to live. And you might think, well, surely Christianity is just like all these other religions. It's just about keeping to the rules, not doing anything too bad, not doing anything too harmful, working harder, striving, trying to desperately meet some sort of standard. For lots of people, those would think, those are the two ways to live. Either enjoy life and forget about God, or I live my life in this state of oppression, and I worry and I don't enjoy life. Now, obviously there's, 
There's a fundamental problem with both of these positions, and I guess the main problem, particularly the th is of the first one, is that in many ways, everyone's religious, whether we like it or not. It's just, just in our DNA, it's just how we, how we function. All the time we create all sorts of systems and laws and structures about how we live. You know, if you wanna lose weight, you wanna do some more exercise, if you wanna achieve a particular goal in life, if you wanna do a particular thing, you create all sorts of internal things, perhaps no one knows about them, perhaps you've written them on the list at the start of the year, your goals, your ambitions, but all the time we're living with these things that we're striving towards, that govern us, that guide us, that dominate our lives. And in the end, even if we wanna live the first way and we just wanna enjoy life, in the end, most of us end up living the second way, where we're striving and struggling and we're worrying all the time because life isn't meeting our expectations, where life is letting us down. Because all of us, we, we can't even meet our own expectations. I don't know if you've noticed. Every now and again, you achieve something you wanted to achieve, but then very quickly that disappears. It doesn't really bring the, you the fulfillment that you thought it would and you move on to the next project, the next goal, the next thing to strive towards, the next thing to try and achieve. And the thing is, is that essentially, when it comes down to it, we, we might like to think we're, we're people that are designed to be free, so therefore we can just throw off any constraints, any idea of religion, and we can just be free. But actually, what we really like is we're, we're creatures of appetite, of desire. Each of us has this insatiable appetite within us where we just want more of things. We're just trying to fulfill. We're just trying to fill this hole within us, striving all the time just to get more. We're people of desire. And then we often find that we can't fill that, that that doesn't work for us. There was a survey that I read recently uh, in, in Denmark, and they asked people um, uh, for a, if you were going to deliver as a snack at your work in a week's time, so you're ordering a week in advance, and you can choose between fruit or chocolate, what are you going to choose? And three quarters of, of the people said, said fruit a week in advance, because that's how they want to live. They want to live healthily. They want to look after themselves. But then they asked the same question um, of the food arriving right then. <laughs> Which are you going to choose? And they put it in front of them. And the results were the other way around. 75% of people chose the chocolate when it was right there in front of them. And that's how we live our lives. We have these goals, these desires. I'm going to do this. I'm going to live like this. I'm going to achieve this thing. But then when it comes down to the decisions in front of us, our desire takes over. Our appetite dominates us. And we just make decisions that we know that we're going to regret. But we, we go that way anyway. I don't know about you, but you, you may find, I often find that my, my future self is disappointed in my present self. <laughs> All the time, my future self is looking back at me and saying, come on, you can do better than that. Pull yourself together. But my future self is like, just, we'll talk in, in two weeks' time, okay? Right now, I'm going to do this. And they're in conflict with one another. We, we never live up to even our own expectations. We always end up trying to live this religious way for ourselves and letting ourselves down. But actually, there is, there is another way 
to live the secret third option. And that's to do this, to live for the will of God. You might think that just sounds the same as the second one. But the thing is, Jesus calls us to a very different way of li living, to a radical lifestyle that's countercultural, that's very different from the world around us. And he does that for a reason. It's not to harm you or oppress you, but it's to help release you into the best of life, to get the most out of life. It's a life of imitating him, but all of that enabled and empowered by his grace, by his power at work within us. Another way to understand these three statements, these three, three ways to live, the first one is, is irreligion. It's, we're against religion, we reject God. The second way would be to talk about religion and believe that, well, I, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I, I do the things, I, I, meet, I meet the requirements, I fulfill the lists, I follow the rules, the laws, therefore, because I've done these things, God will accept me. Or the third way is the other way around. We say, I'm accepted by God, therefore I obey. It's completely different. It's not we're obeying and we're following and we're doing all these things to somehow earn his favor, to somehow win our way to him. But as Christians, we believe, no, we're accepted by God because of who he is and what he's done. And therefore, we, we wanna follow him because he's changed our hearts. We want to follow him. And sometimes, sometimes to obey God, to follow him, it does mean that there's suffering in life, that there's difficulty, that there's hardship. And we've talked about this a lot as we've gone through 1 Peter, and we'll talk about it some more in a few weeks, in a few weeks' time. And it has a fascinating verse here where it says, whoever who... For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from, from sin. Now, I'm not going to explain that fully because we'll come back to the issue of suffering in a few weeks' time. But sometimes what happens is that there's a redemptive power of suffering where it brings you to God. Where sometimes God even leads us or lead you through seasons of hardship and difficulty because he's trying to do something in you. He's trying to shake you and change you. He's doing something inside of you, which actually he's drawing you ever closer to him. And the sin and the things in your life that are ungodly, he's breaking those things off. He's taking those things away. He's drawing you ever closer into him. And that can be, that can be painful. That can be, often that can just be unpopular. <laughs> Unpopular. People don't necessarily like that way of living. It says here that uh, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. And I don't know about you, but, you know, we often find times where we, we, we make decisions and we make choices and the people around us don't understand. And there's always that temptation, that desire to then just to swim with the rest of the fish, 
to go with the flow, to follow everyone else. And it's a hard decision to make in your heart to say, no, I'm gonna live, I'm gonna live God's way. Not because I have to, but because I'm accepted, because I'm loved, I wanna follow him. And sometimes that means we've just gotta be real about it. Sometimes that means we'll be maligned, we'll be mocked, abused, taunted for how we behave, for what we do. It might be the issue of, of sex in relationships that you say, do you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait till I get married. And people around us in this city aren't gonna understand that. I think that's crazy, ludicrous. I think that's something from the Middle Ages. And you have to make a bold decision to, to follow God, not the ways of the world around us. I remember when, when Joe and I got married, we were very young. I was 20 and Joe was, I probably shouldn't say how old you were. Joe, <laughs> Joe we were a similar age, I'll put it that way. <laughs> And I remember the, the office where I was working at the time, uh, I worked in, in, a, in a, an office and I sat between two middle-aged women who both were on, I think one was on their second and one was on their third marriage or something like that. They didn't have a very positive opinion of marriage, basically. And they thought I was crazy. They just were like, well, you're just gonna be divorced in six months' time. Why are you getting married when you're 24? And they just thought it was ridiculous. And, and the kind of the tone everybody I worked with kind of thought the same thing. This is ridiculous. You, know, you, don't, you don't get married when you're 20. Who does that? And sometimes you just have to make some, some bold and some radical decisions. And the thing is that in the moment, in that time, that can feel painful when we're mocked, when we're maligned. That can feel difficult. We've got to understand that even those accusations that come at us, that they're not, they're not the final word. In this passage, there is a final word. And, and what people say about you, that definitely isn't the final word. Because we've talked about some different ways to live, but perhaps, perhaps the question that we don't often ask ourselves, but perhaps is the more important question, is not how should I live, but how will I die? It's not a very popular thing to talk about, but it's a really important question to consider. Because for all of us, death is the one certainty that we all face. So those that malign you and mock you, the final word is not your kind of rebuke, your taunt back at them. The final word that everyone has to face is, is death. There's an end. There's a judgment to follow that. There's a final word that takes place that neither you or I are in, are in control of. The philosopher Martin Heidegger, he said this, to be human is to be a being toward death. That's, that's what it means to be alive, is that each of us is just moving towards death ever so slowly. It's just true, isn't it? That's what it is to be alive, is that one day we won't be alive anymore, we'll be dead. And that's what the nature of what it is to be, to be human. And if, if we're honest, that's something that we don't want to think about, but it might be for you when you do think about that, there's a sense of anxiety, there's a sense of worry. My goodness, what does that, what does that mean? What, what happens? What's going to take place? 
There's a Roman philosopher, Seneca, who said that he was talking about mortality in terms of the limit of our life. And he talked about mortality as the shortness of time. The shortness of time. It's just running out little by little. I remember one... Uh, uh, one thing that happened to me that I probably will never forget was when I was about 17 or 18 years old. Um, I was in college, and uh, another kid similar age to me, he killed himself, he committed suicide. We had a big assembly together where they got the whole school together. And some of his friends, they got up and they read this poem about his life. Now, I don't remember most of what they said, but they said one phrase that I won't forget. They said, he cheated death and he won. That was the view of the, that decision that he'd made to kill himself, that he cheated death and he won. And in that moment, I just felt a sense of real pain for them. Obviously for him and his family, such a horrible thing to have to walk through, to be 17, year old, 17 years old and have no hope in your life to the point where you want to take your own life. For his family to process that and for his friends, to, for them to have gone through that but at the same time believe that somehow he'd, he'd won in that. You can't cheat death. You can't. It's, that's just not how it works, is it? And, but so often, we, we, all of us, we live our lives as though we can. We live our lives focusing on the life part and not the death part. We never want to think about that. And we, we, we're trying to cheat death away by trying to get the most out of life that we possibly can. And that's, if we want to look at, at two, ways, two ways to die, that's, that's the first of one. We, we can live, we can die without any, without comfort. Without comfort. Because for most of us, whether you believe in God or not, if you were given the choice between heaven and hell, the end of your life, if you're given that choice, then you pick heaven. Surely, no one's going to pick hell in that scenario. Whatever you believe about what hell is, given the option between eternal paradise in heaven or eternal suffering in hell, we'd, we'd pick heaven. Anybody would. Even if you don't believe in any of that, if you were given the option between, between heaven or eternal nothingness, the idea that what most atheists would believe that when you die, everything just stops. There's just blackness and dark. Your body, your soul is completely dead and that's just the end. Given the choice between that and heaven, I still think I know what you would, you would pick. I don't think anyone could honestly say, I just, I just want the lights to go out and that to be the end of the story. That's not the decision that we want to make with our lives. And yet, the, the choice that we do make is we try and cheat death, basically. We just focus on the living part. Any anxiety or worry, we put that to one side and we just focus on getting the most out of life as we possibly can. We basically try and live as though we're immortal, that we're going to live forever. And we try and get as much out as we can. And then when mortality, when death kind of rears its head, maybe a family member dies a friend, someone we know, it's, it shocks us out of our thinking because we're not used to death. It doesn't happen much in our society these days. And when it does happen, it shocks us, but we quickly lock it back away again. 
We close it down, we put it away in that drawer, we don't think about it because we just want to focus on the life, on the good bits. And we live with this kind of hidden anxiety all the time. That's the first way to die without any comfort. But there's a second way, which is that we can die with comfort. You can die knowing that that isn't the end, that there is something better for us. And the good news is that you might think, well, does, do we have to, how do we get there? Do we, is, is Peter going to be waiting at the pearly gates with his tip board? Okay, you've done enough, you can get in. Oh, you didn't, you, you kind of failed, so you can't get in. Is that what Peter tells us here? No, fortunately, he doesn't. He says this, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. See, at the time there would have been some confusion. The early church have seen uh, uh, what's happened to Jesus. They've been living out this wonderful story of his death and resurrection. And they would have lived with this this wonderful hope and expectancy in their heart of the life to come, of Jesus' second coming. And then when people around them in the early church started to die, they were asking questions. Why are, people, why are people dying? I didn't think this was supposed to happen to us. We're Christians. And Peter's saying to them, no, it's okay. <laughs> That's why the gospel was preached to them before they died, that they could come to know him and follow him and have this life in the spirit the way God does. We could go and live with Jesus in heaven forever. But he doesn't say to us, for this is why they followed all the rules, for this is why they had to work really hard, this is why they had to pray twice a day, this is why they had to read their Bible so much, this is why they had to give money to the church, this is why they had to do all these things so they could live in the spirit the way God does. He says, no, for this is why the gospel was preached to them. That's, that's the key. The fact that they've received the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, of who he is and what he's done, not what we've done, comes down to, again, it's not that we've, we've obeyed and we've obeyed and we've obeyed, but we're accepted by him. We obey, we follow him, but because we're accepted by him, because we can live with this deep assurance, this deep comfort, that there's an eternity laid aside for us, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. The answer is, is the gospel. We come back to that question that Joe read at the start. What is your only hope in life and death? That I'm not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ, he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. Isn't that amazing good news? It's wonderful news. The preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, he says, when you and I come to judgment, there'll only be one real question put to us. What did you do about the Lord Jesus Christ? And that's the question that maybe some of you need to consider here this morning. Is what are, you, what are you going to do about this? You're going to live your life with, without any comfort. 
with this sense of anxiety and worry that you just lock away. You think, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna live this life of passion and sensuality. I'm just gonna do what I want. I'm gonna enjoy life. It's short. I'm just gonna get the most out of it I possibly can. But then what? That's the question you need to ask yourself. What are you gonna do about Jesus? About who he is? Who offers you eternity with him? But not only that, fullness of life now. It's just, it's just such a better way to live. It will fulfill you. It will change you. Won't suddenly make life all magical and easy and perfect. You'll still have hardship and difficulty and trials, but you have the living God living inside of you, helping you, blessing you, drawing you ever closer to him. Have a relationship with the Father in heaven who loves you richly and deeply. Why don't we just stand to our feet? And I want to just pray for us. But before I do that, I just want to read. Joe read from uh, the Heidelberg Catechism earlier, question number one. I'm going to read this. And don't, don't repeat it back. But maybe just close your eyes. Or you can read it off the screen. That's fine. But just let these words just penetrate into your heart as I read them. This is the question. It says, how does Christ return to judge the living and the dead, comfort you? This is the answer. It says, in, in all distresses and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and remove the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. Let me pray. Jesus, to consider life might fill us with joy and excitement or fear and worry. To consider death for some of us here that may just petrify us. We might not want to even think about that. We might have all sorts of questions about heaven and hell and judgment. But the question I want to put to each and every heart here this morning is, is the question of Jesus, of who he is and what he's done for us. And we thank you, Jesus, that as believers in you, we can know that we're accepted and that we're loved. We can have this deep assurance and comfort that you've laid something wonderful and perfect aside for us for all eternity and we don't want to we don't want to waste our life on small tiny things to try and keep ourselves happy we want to live our lives fixed on you and your purposes knowing that that's the best way to live and you set eternity aside to worship you and we want to fix our hearts on that if anyone here that doesn't know you, or they're not sure. I'm not trying to scare them, but I want them to know the full riches of who you are, Jesus, of all that you offer, of all the promises that they can receive in you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and speak to their hearts. Help them to turn away from their old way of life and put their trust in you 
and to say that they want to belong to you and follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. Amen.